the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. As the Speaker of the House departs Taiwan, China quickly moves to punish the island nation. We haven't seen the worst of it yet. Beijing is going to do some more. President Biden issues an executive order granting Medicaid funding to allow for interstate travel for abortions. But as I said before, this fight is not over. Indiana Congresswoman Jackie Walorski dies in a fatal car accident in her district. She was kind, fair, and always a joy to speak with. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast, your first look at today's top stories for Thursday, August 4th. I'm Mike Scott. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi departed Taiwan on Wednesday after a visit that included a meeting with Taiwan's president. The speaker vowed to preserve democracy in Taiwan in the face of growing threats from mainland China. Speaker Pelosi is the highest-ranking U.S. official to visit Taiwan in 25 years, now heads to South Korea and Japan before returning to the United States. During her high-profile meeting with the Taiwanese president, Pelosi said the U.S. would not abandon its commitment to Taiwan, framing her visit as part of a broader struggle over democracy's future. However, the speaker's visit angered China and escalated tensions in U.S.-China relations. For their part, China announced it would carry out live-fire drills from Thursday to Sunday across six areas that together effectively encircle Taiwan. While they will predominantly take place in international waters, some of those areas are close to major Taiwanese ports, meaning they could end up disrupting commercial shipping routes. CBS's Nancy Cordes says that China is warning that whoever offends the CCP will be, quote, punished, end quote. Speaker Pelosi left Taiwan this morning, but the Chinese have not let it go. Those who offend China will be punished, they warned, as they vowed to launch live-fire military exercises in the waters encircling Taiwan starting tonight. We are prepared to manage what Beijing chooses to do. Taiwan is a self-governing democracy and America's ninth-largest trading partner. But Beijing considers the island Chinese territory and has long discouraged Taiwanese engagement with foreign governments. They didn't say anything when the men came. (laughs) Pelosi mocked China's reaction in an appearance with Taiwan's president. House Speaker Pelosi, for her part, seems unfazed by the threat, saying that President Xi should look at the domestic problems China is facing. But there are certain insecurities on the part of the president of China as to his own political situation that he's rattling a saber. I don't know. Cordes says that China has made some moves that the G7 is calling economic coercion. 
As she spoke, China sent more than 20 fighter jets into Taiwan's air defense zone, prompting Taiwan to scramble its own jets. China also suspended some imports of fruit and fish from Taiwan. In a letter, G7 leaders urged China to call off the economic coercion and aggressive military activity, saying it risks destabilizing the region. To drive the point home, the White House released this photo of President Biden, still in COVID isolation, discussing the issue with his national security team. Cordes also says the White House is standing by Pelosi's trip. White House officials have been asked repeatedly whether they believe that Speaker Pelosi's trip was worth the increased tensions. Wary of inflaming things further, all they will say is that she's the Speaker of the House and had every right to go. Gordon Chang, the author of The Coming Collapse of China, joins the Salem Radio Network to discuss the implications of the speaker's trip to Taiwan and what China may do going forward. Well, I actually think that with the Biden administration being very pro-Communist Party, very pro-Chinese worker, someone needs to restore the balance. Um, You know, and I don't know what our motivations um, have been uh, or are for this, but nonetheless, this was a good thing for us. And so um, even if she did it for the worst of motives, um, she ended up with the best of results. Chang also says that while China has made some moves, we haven't seen the worst of it yet. Yeah, they haven't done anything really serious. What they have done, Joe, is that uh, sort of at late night, they called in our ambassador, Nicholas Burns, lodged a protest with him. They've started live fire exercises, um, and one of the exercise areas actually is in Taiwan's sovereign waters. So that's really provocative. There have been some flights through Taiwan's air defense identification zone. Um, They blocked some Taiwan exports, but we haven't seen the worst of it yet. Beijing is going to do some more because they're going to You know, they they created a confrontation, and so they're throwing a hissy fit right now. Chang says in his opinion that even though there are issues with the U.S. Navy, it still has the capacity to handle China's Navy. It's China's home territory, and their Navy has more ships than than ours, but our tonnage is in excess of China's. Um, I, I don't think we are actually outgunned even in the South China Sea, because you, the Chinese Navy has never really conducted major exercises, um, at least under the People's Republic of China. And, and the other thing about all of this, and this just is a general issue, and this is even before Biden, the, the U.S. Navy is a deeply troubled institution. But I think that in a wartime, it can actually pull itself together very fast. And we saw this, of course, in the beginning of World War II. Um, but, you know, I can understand the general's assessment, but I think that we probably are more capable than he lets on. Chang says that while China is currently focusing its ire on the U.S. House Speaker, the Chinese military is actually acting very provocatively elsewhere in the Pacific. I I think that there will be more military provocations. You know, Joe, right now, forget about Pelosi's visit. There are Chinese troops deep into Indian-controlled territory, in the Himalayas. Um, they're trying to break apart the Philippines and Second Thomas Shoal in the South China Sea. And on Friday, China sent four warships and loitered in Japanese sovereign water in the East China Sea around the Senkakus. So, you know, right now, China is just really looking for a fight someplace. So it's, 
you know, Pelosi's just an excuse. Uh, they, they, they're engaging in a lot of very belligerent behavior at this very moment. Chang believes that China will not only become economically unstable, but politically unstable in the future. Almost all China analysts think that he will get his third term as general secretary. Um, a number of people think, and I think that this is probably true as well, that uh, because of his policy mistakes, he will have to suffer with um, people from opposing factions who will also be put in power, sort of like to contain him. Um, what this means, Joe, is that Xi Jinping and, and these new people, they're going to be fighting with each other right after the 20th National Congress, where all of this is supposed to occur. So China's going to going to become even less stable. And right now, I don't think it's very stable at all because of the debt crisis, the bank runs and all of that. And then you added on this additional layer of political infighting, which will intensify. So China's a mess. The Senate on Wednesday voted overwhelmingly to approve a resolution ratifying Sweden and Finland's accession to NATO, sending another signal that Congress remains unified in opposing Russian aggression toward Ukraine and Europe. The Senate voted 95 to 1 to approve the resolution, with every member of the Democrat caucus and most Republicans voting in support. It ratifies protocols of accession that NATO allies signed on July 5. Retired Major General William Enyard joined News Nation to share his thoughts on the historic vote that approves Sweden and Finland membership into NATO. When asked about Senator Josh Hawley's no vote, Enyard says that admitting Finland and Sweden to NATO will not distract from the threat of China. Well, I think I'd tell Senator Hawley that we can walk and chew bubblegum at the same time. You know, we prevent wars and we win wars with alliances. Uh, by adding Finland and Sweden to NATO, we are actually strengthening NATO and we're increasing our security in the Baltic and in the Arctic. With, with global warming in the Baltic Arctic, there are more and more uh, trade routes going to be opening up there, natural resources, and so we need to have a secure presence uh, in the Arctic. Uh, as for China, we, we similarly need to build our alliances in the Indo-Pacific region. Uh, and uh, we need to do that in order to offset China's increasing economic and, and military power. And we also must end our manufacturing dependency on China, uh, neither of which uh, have anything at all to do with admitting either Sweden or Finland to NATO. By admitting them, we're not going to be weakening our uh, presence against China. Enyard says that neither Finland nor Sweden are as economically dependent on Russia as other European countries. I think today Putin has his hands full in dealing with Ukraine. Uh, and for that matter, the the southern regions of Russia, uh, Chechnya, the Chechnya area and, and the, uh, the Muslim regions uh, in southern Russia, uh, have been quite restive in the past. They could well blow up again, which would create further problems for him. And additionally, you have to remember that Russia's economy is is only about the size of Italy. It's smaller than South Korea's. And they're in deep economic trouble today because of the sanctions. So their ability to be coercive economically is very limited. 
And additionally, uh, we, we must remember that uh, Sweden gets, uh, well, Finland gets less than 10% of their energy needs from Russia, and Sweden even less. Mm. So uh, they don't have the energy uh, coercion that they might apply to uh, Western Europe. The Major General goes on to say that other countries are inspired to join NATO, but the question is, will NATO accept more countries after Sweden and Finland. Ukraine, Georgia, and Bosnia have all applied to join NATO. They're, they're asking to join NATO. I think the larger question here is, who would NATO accept? Uh, you know, the, the vote must be unanimous, and that sets a pretty high bar. You know, we've seen uh, issues with Turkey now, um, uh, concerned about the Kurdish uh, folks uh, who have immigrated into uh, Sweden and Finland and have some political clout up there. Um, so, uh, uh, there's that issue. Then, of course, I think uh, it's highly unlikely that Ukraine would be admitted until this Russia-Ukraine war is resolved, because with Article 5 in NATO, an attack on one is an attack on all. All. So if we admitted Ukraine at this point, then we would wind up walking NATO right into a war, which I don't think anybody wants to happen. Italy's parliament gave its seal of approval to Sweden and Finland's membership on Wednesday, inching closer to the inclusion of the two countries into full NATO membership. President Joe Biden signed an executive order Wednesday that will allow Medicaid funds to be used to help women travel from states where abortion is illegal to states where they can receive the procedure. In addition to Wednesday's executive order, the Department of Justice is also litigating the state of Idaho, challenging its ban on abortion after six weeks stating that the law is in violation of federal law, where doctors must provide care to patients during medical emergencies. Biden says his administration isn't done battling what he calls an extreme Supreme Court ruling. But as I said before, this fight is not over. And we saw that last night in Kansas. In the opinion of the people, uh, the opinion of the Dobbs case, the extreme majority of the Supreme Court wrote, women, and this is a quote from that case, women are not without electoral or political power, unquote. Biden went on to urge that voters elect lawmakers who will codify Roe v. Wade into law. I believe Roe got it right. It's been the law for close to 50 years. And I commit to the American people and we're doing everything in our power to safeguard access to health care, including the right to choose that women had under Roe v. Wade, which was ripped away by this extreme court. But ultimately, Congress must codify the protections of Roe as federal law. And if Congress fails to act, the people of this country need to elect senators and representatives who will restore Roe and will protect the recommendations you make to me. At a press briefing, White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre says that the executive order allows for religious and moral exemptions to performing abortions. Federal law makes clear uh, doctors must provide women emergency medical care, including abortion services to stabilize women facing and life-threatening conditions. Uh, we are working to ensure that pregnant women whose life and lives are in serious jeopardy receive the care that they need. 
this is what it is. This is what we're trying to do. This is what the president has promised that he would he would do. Uh, but under that same federal law, there are exceptions uh, for moral, to your point, Owen, or religious objections to provide particular medical services. So nothing in today's EO uh, impacts those exceptions. So there are exceptions there. Critics of the move from the president say it likely violates the Hyde Amendment, which prohibits federal financing of abortion. Election results in a slate of key primary races Tuesday night show that any signals of former President Donald Trump's waning influence over the GOP were a bit premature. In Arizona, multiple candidates who coined themselves as Trump loyalists who touted his Make America Great Again agenda either won or appeared to be nearing victory in races that were still too close to call Wednesday. In Michigan, a House Republican incumbent who earned the president's scorn by voting for his impeachment after the January 6th Capitol riding lost his primary to a Trump-endorsed challenger. Daybreak Insider's Bernie Bennett takes a look at other primary election results from Tuesday. The primaries for the other two House Republicans who voted for impeachment, Washington State Representative Jamie Herrera-Butler and Dan Newhouse, were too early to call Wednesday morning. The three races were the biggest tests yet for GOP incumbents who broke with Mr. Trump after the January 6th Capitol attack. Mr. Trump campaigned against the 10 House Republicans who crossed party lines for the impeachment vote, and he endorsed GOP challengers to them in the midterm elections. In other races, Representative Haley Stevens ousted Representative Andy Levin from Congress after prevailing in their Democratic primary in Michigan. Bernie Bennett reporting. Representative Jackie Walorski and three other people died in a fatal car crash Wednesday, according to the Sheriff's Office of Elkhart County, Indiana. The Indiana Republican was a senior House member, her party's top member on the House Ethics Committee, and a member of Ways and Means. Her communications director, Emma Thompson, and Zachary Potts, her district director, were also killed in the accident, as was the driver of the vehicle that crossed the center line, and collided with theirs. Walorski's death is a shock to the Capitol community, where two other sitting House members have died this year. Republican Representative Don Young of Alaska and Republican Rep. Jim Hagedorn of Minnesota, they died within a month of each other earlier this year. News Nation's Kelly Meyer has the latest on Representative Walorski's passing. Congresswoman Walorski was someone who was interviewed by our D.C. Bureau often. She was kind, fair, and always a joy to speak with. And she was killed in this accident, along with two of her staffers, Zachary Potts and Emma Thompson, her communications director. As you said, she was first elected to serve here in Congress in 2012. She had a focus on farming, national security, as well as supporting our service members. And before coming to Congress, she served three terms in the Indiana State House ahead of her career in politics. She and her husband, Dean, spent four years as missionaries in Romania. And they started and ran a foundation to provide food and medical supplies to impoverished children. And she was also a television news reporter in South Bend. And as we said, reaction pouring in from Washington tonight. We heard from President Biden saying in a statement, quote, we may have represented different parties and disagreed on many issues, but she was respected by members of both parties. He went on to say, quote, we send our deepest 
expressed condolences to her husband, Dean, to the families of her staff members, Zachary Potts and Emma Thompson, who lost their lives in public service, and to the people of Indiana's 2nd District, who lost a representative who was one of their own. And also Republican House Leader Kevin McCarthy sharing, quote, she has returned home to be with her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please keep her family in your thoughts and prayers. And now Marty Flags are at half staff, both at the White House down 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and here behind me on Capitol Hill as the reaction continues to come, come in both here in Washington and across the country. Apparently, crime and coffee do not mix in California. Starbucks, the coffee giant, is set to close six stores in California due to high crime rates. Daybreak Insider's Tasha Stevens has more on that story. Well, due to safety concerns, six Starbucks stores in the Los Angeles area are now closed. They were among 16 nationwide due to problems with chronic homelessness, drug use, and protest vandalism. The store in West Hollywood opened in 1995. Tasha Stevens reporting. Hall of Fame broadcaster Vin Scully died Tuesday night. Scully died at his home in the Hidden Hills neighborhood of L.A., according to the team, after being informed by family members. No cause of death was provided. Scully was the longest-tenured broadcaster with a single team in pro sports history. He began in the 1950s era of Pee Wee Reese and Jackie Robinson, on to the 60s with Don Drysdale and Sandy Koufax, the 70s with Steve Garvey and Don Sutton, and through the 80s with Oral Hershiser and Fernando Valenzuela. Into the 90s, Mike Piazza and Hideo Nomo, followed by Kershaw, Ramirez, and Puig in the 21st century. Ben Scully narrates the last time the Dodgers played the Giants at the Polo Grounds in New York City in 1957. I don't know how you feel about it at the other end of these microphones, whether you're sitting at home or driving a car or on the beach or anywhere, but I know sitting here watching the Giants and Dodgers apparently playing for the last time at the Polo Grounds, you want them to take their time. Two old pitches low, ball three. You just feel like saying, now don't run off the field so fast, fellas. Let's uh, take it easy. We want to take one good, long, lingering look at both of you. In a March 2017 interview, a retired Vin Scully said he feels blessed. It's been God's grace that allowed me to work 67 years, allowed me to live as long as I have lived. So anything and everything that I might receive plaudits from the crowd, etc. I still believe it, it was uh, given to me through God's grace. At a news conference in October 2016, Scully said he would always root for the Dodgers. I have nothing but uh, hopes and happiness for them. Uh, I can just go back. I don't have to worry about being impartial. Uh, I can shake that and root like everybody else. At his retirement ceremony in September 2016, the famed Dodgers announcer opened with his signature introduction. Hi, everybody, and a very pleasant good evening to you. I thought I'd get that out of the way right away. Vin Scully was 94. And finally, stop me if you've seen this movie before. 
but scientists at Yale University used a new technology to restore the function of some cells in organs of pigs that had just died. The findings, according to some, are a window into the new possibilities for the collection of human organs for transplant. But this isn't the first time research like this has occurred. Back in 2019, scientists were able to partially reanimate the brains of recently deceased pigs. The researchers stated then that the pig brains regained some organized electrical function, but showed no activity of consciousness or awareness. The AP science writer Malcolm Ritter discussed the reanimation of the brains of those dead pigs. Scientists removed brains from pigs that were dead. They had been dead for four hours. They were slaughtered in a slaughterhouse for food. They took these brains, they put them in a lab, they pumped six hours of treatment through it, artificial blood through it, and they found signs of functioning going on in these dead brains. Uh, particular brain cells would, would respond normally when you, when you stimulated them. There are other signs that cells, at least in you know, a little regional level, where you could restore some function in there. Now, it's really important to say these were not, they did not restore a whole brain. These brains could not think. They could not feel. But within them, you could see little signs of activity. Ritter says the findings in all actuality were jaw-dropping. That's pretty amazing frankly, especially in a large animal. We're not talking, you know, mice. We're talking a pig, which is about as big as, as a human. Uh, the, uh, there are other traits that a pig brain shares with a human brain. So if you can do this in a lab, if you can make, keep these little functions going long in a lab, it creates a whole new way to study brains. It's a new way to study how brain circuitry works how a uh, brain might r respond to an experimental treatment of some kind, uh, maybe how certain brain diseases work. Uh, it's, it's a fantastic research tool if they can get this to work uh, a little longer, uh, long enough for scientists to do some real studies of it. Ritter goes on to say that the research also opens up a whole new variety of ethical questions. So a person who didn't show any activity of, of any brain life does this mean that, you know, someday we could go in and resuscitate these people? And yet, in that case, what does dead mean? Uh, and it becomes really acute in questions like uh, how, how dead does a person have to be before you remove organs to transplant into someone else? And there's a real practical question that could become a whole lot more complicated if there's some way to revive people whose brains up till now we thought were dead, gone forever. Current research is still in a very early experimental phase and many years from potential use in humans and has some questioning both the ethics of it and the meaning of what actually can be considered dead. However, some say it could potentially help to extend the lives of those whose hearts have stopped beating or who have suffered a severe stroke. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. 
ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at srnnews.com and townhall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.